Welcome to the New Books Network. This is the Nordic Asia Podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia Podcast, a collaboration sharing expertise on Asia across the Nordic region. I am your host, Saiskelili Lehtsalo, from University of Tartu Asia Center in Estonia, and here with me is Einari Kisal, who is currently the Head of Partnerships and Strategy in Finna's Center for Smart Cities in Tallinn University of Technology, and among other of his public sector jobs, was in the period of 2014 to 2020 Regional Manager for Europe in the World Energy Council. While most of Einari's work has been in the public sector, his academic research has focused largely on energy research and his current research in Finna's Center for Smart Cities focuses on energy policy and security. However, the main reason I have asked Einari to join me today is a report not yet published to the general public regarding the future relations between Asia and Estonia. While our main topic today is going to be about energy, especially green energy markets and supply chain questions between Asia and Europe, I would like to take a few minutes first to talk a bit about the report itself. So Enare, if you could start us off, what is the report about and what does it predict for us in regards to the big energy dilemmas we face today? Right. The universities of Estonia have made a study for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Estonia in order to explore what kind of futures can we predict with the relations with Asian countries. And from this context, uh, one of the key aspects that came up across there was that we can see that, that the energy transitions, energy futures are very, very much today dependent on the Asian countries, especially on China. As far as the Chinese companies, which are usually very much related to their government, have taken very much uh, over the markets for the development and say mining of the all the minerals and metals that are required for the green transition. If you take it from perspective that, say, if you would like to produce the battery for the car that weighs about 400 kilos, and then the it would require actually about 200 tons of ground to be mined in order to receive this, say, this ores that are, and minerals that are required there. If you would like to build up a solar panel, then for each 500 megawatts that you install, you would need about 35 million tons of glass. Mm-hmm. You would you have to have 28 million tons of steel or uh, 23 million tons of concrete. If you go further from there, well, if you look for the windmills that you produce on the ground, not on the offshore, but on the onshore uh, windmills, you would need about 228 million tons of concrete for 500 megawatts to to be installed, about 58 million tons of steel and iron. And for the offshore windmills, it goes even... uh, more than that, let's say you would need for 500 megawatts of, to be installed, you would need 241 million tons of low alloy or electrical steel to be uh, installed there. 190 million tons of copper. And it is vast amounts of say, resources that you would actually need there. But today, if you look at the market, what has happened there is that vast majority of all these minerals are coming today from China. 
and from other Asian countries as well. Even more, if you look at the resources where they are mined, say they're not in Europe. Europe is the one who actually buys all these products, mainly from China, and is uh, installing them. But in the end of the day, actually, the resources are coming from countries like Chile, Indonesia, Russia, Congo, Australia, and they are produced then very much in China. So China has taken a very strong stance in all of these markets. And then when you go further from there, the question is that, well, okay, how actually this kind of dependence that Europe has created during the last 10 years on uh, such a green technologies and with Asian countries, mainly with China, will influence in the future the economic ties and also political ties. Whether there will be some kind of, say, influence as we see today, for example, with the relations with Europe and Russia, where the dependence has been built up on gas supplies. Whether we are building up today a similar dependence on China and how we can get rid of it and how we can avoid that. This was the main focus for the report that we were doing for the Minister of Foreign Affairs to see what kind of futures can happen how Europe can position itself in these kind of futures and how we can benefit as Estonia from that. So the green energy we talk about does not seem that green at all when you bring it like that, that there's so many materials that must be brought in. I know that, so for us, last Thursday, on the 7th July, for the listeners, the International Energy Agency came out with a press release warning the world to diversify solar panel supply chains, which are currently dominated by China, like you brought out. So we can see that there there seems to be the awareness growing as well quite, quite quickly. Yes. Well, I think International Energy Agency is doing a very fine job at the moment from this context and showing that what kind of relations there are already. I say what they brought out was also that today about 80% of the world's solar panels are coming from China. And if if the trends are continuing, then by 2030, this share can grow to 95%. So China would clearly dominate this market in a way. And there are other uh, such kind of resources as well that you can see where the China is just in a very dominant position already today. If we talk about the rare metals, then 87% of the market today is dominated by Chinese companies. There are very few countries in the world that uh, actually produce such kind of rare metals. One of them is Estonia. But Estonia just provides like 1% of the world's rare metals. However, there is growing question that, well, in practice, what happens there is that China produces all these green technologies based on electricity that is uh, produced from coal and growingly from coal. If you look at the uh, share of China in the electricity market, you could say that just two years ago, China became the country that uses 50% of the world's coal that goes for electricity. So I would argue that to a very large extent, also the solar panels that are produced in China are not so clean as you may expect. Mm -hmm. And all the other uh, rare metals that are coming from there 
again, say, to a large extent that to produce them, the coal-based electricity is used. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we go on, I, I just wondering, is that something new, like a new problem that's been uh, seen now or when you were in the World Energy Association or Council, sorry, was it also something that was talked about or is it something that people are coming kind of understanding right now? Well, say it was a time when this kind of trend was just uh, emerging, mm-hmm. but it wasn't discussed much on these days, mm-hmm. but it was three years back. But during the last five years, China has basically built up the main core of this uh, dependence and also this uh, market strength. Well, in practice, what happened was that European countries like Denmark, Germany, started to develop all these technologies for wind parks, for solar and so on. And once they were ready, then their companies actually invested also in China. And also Chinese companies started to invest into these technologies as well. Say they were ready-made technologies then mm-hmm. and went into to large scale. And as far as electricity in China is much cheaper than it is in Europe, mm-hmm. it was much more competitive also uh, to produce these say, green products, green technologies in China. Mm-hmm. And they outcompeted all the competitors. So they essentially bought up the market, kind of? Is that what you're saying? Well, they bought up technologies. Technologies, okay. Yes. Well, and as far as they have also a large internal market, mm-hmm. actually, to be honest, the largest installer of solar panels and wind parks in the world is also China. They are investing vast amounts of their capital into the solar panels, solar parks, and also into uh, wind parks. And based on that, they can also create uh, very strong companies mm-hmm. as far as there is a basic consumption that comes from their own country. So we understand that we have gotten uh, awareness of that in the last five years now, but uh, it truly really seems like a big question now. So what do we do about it? Is there anything we can do? Can we bring back the making of these technologies to Europe? Is, is that even a possibility? What could we do? Well, certainly it is. But I think the even bigger question is that where do we get the resources? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, well, since some of these resources can be explored also and mined also in Europe, Mm -hmm. but it is much more difficult to create any kind of mine (laughs) or carry in Europe. Mm -hmm. So people are much more aware of the impacts and they have a stronger say about against uh, these kind of mines and carries as well. Well, if you look at where the mines are today for the uh, important metals, that, for example, nearly 70% of cobalt comes from Congo, which is actually under control of mm-hmm. Chinese companies. 33% of nickel comes from Indonesia. Mm. Again, Chinese companies are present there. Even when we speak about copper, 28% of world copper comes from Chile. And again, Chinese companies are the ones who are present there and take the grant there. So it means that for European companies to go to these countries to start to mine there is not a very easy option Mm -hmm. because Chinese have already settled there. Mm -hmm. To go to own countries, well, it requires a very big shift in thinking of the people that uh, mining is also necessary in order to go through the green transition that we are looking for. Mm. Of course, to install the technologies, it's easier. 
the key question there is, again, the electricity price. Mm-hmm. That if you produce the products there, they might not be so competitive in the market compared to Chinese products. And this is the key question, whether somebody is risking to build up such kind of factories, which usually are like hundreds of millions of euros, mm-hmm. and to compete with uh, Chinese. If there are no border mechanisms or carbon border mechanisms applied in the European Union, then these kind of producers within the European Union would, in a global scale, probably not be competitive. I mean, with already rising prices in energy markets as well, it might be seem uh, a bit scary in Europe at the moment to even talk about it. But would it be something like in the report, there was this uh, one scenario that was about like dividing because of values. Would that be something that, that would seem logically in that sense that we decide that, you know, we're we're going to do this, we're going to pay a bit more, we're going to subsidize it with money from the European mm-hmm. Union, for example, and uh, build up our own like independence in a sense. Would that be something? Well, This this was exactly the core of the mm. question that we explored there uh, in this report that, uh, well, if we would build up something in Europe, whether we could also cooperate with other countries in Asia mm-hmm. uh, that would be also be interested actually in uh, developing their own, uh, say, green transition and green markets, whether we can also, uh, whether we have to build up some kind of, so to say, economic walls between these systems. Well, we explored four different scenarios in this future. Well, looking at the potential for collaboration. And in the other end, we looked for what happens if there will be just a pure conflict between two ideologies, two areas, and how we can cope with that. What happens actually then? And there are also wider implications into that. If you think of them from a perspective that, well, if there will be a similar kind of conflict that today is between Russia and the rest of the world with the war in Ukraine, if such kind of conflict would also be between China and the rest of the world, then uh, we would be a very difficult situation. And uh, also all the green, green transition would actually be uh, held for a while because we won't be able to build up such uh, kind of own technologies, own uh, factories in such pace that we could replace the supplies Mm -hmm. that today are coming from China. So the question there is that how actually Europe could get rid of such kind of dependence that we have built up today. If you look at the the future again, you can see that, well, if we are going for the green transition, there is actually an need for even in some cases to increase the volumes of these uh, metals that uh, are required there, it would be need to increase them 20 to 40 times. It means that anyhow, from the current volumes, we have to go way beyond the levels that we are today. So it would require also investments in Europe the prices most likely will also go up for uh, some time. Mm -hmm. But in the same time, well, most likely Chinese producers will be in the market as well. Whether we will build up such kind of companies and mining in Europe, or would we rely just on China and or on the other countries, 
This is dependence that uh, actually now with the conflict of Russia with Ukraine has become more evident also for the European leaders mm. that such kind of uh, scenarios, such kind of futures can actually happen as well. Mm. I think something really interesting you brought out was that there's also a question that when we talk about Asia, we can talk about that, you know, maybe other countries besides exactly. China would definitely also want to be independent of China in regards to green yeah. energy. And I believe one big player would be India, right? With Modi promising the, that every household will get energy in like 2015 and so on. I mean, we would definitely want them to be green as well. And uh, as they are such a big market themselves, having them be free of China in that regard would be also quite good. So they could be a great partner, I guess. Indeed. Well, and they should look at the last news actually from last week about the the India collaborating with Australia and also other Asian countries in order to build up their own green transition technology sector, then we see that there is already a movement. And -hmm. Australia has been very uh, vital there as well. They have created such kind of collaborations uh, in uh, recent months also with many other countries in the world Mm -hmm. in order to say help actually to go there. Australia is one of the countries that has uh, one of the largest lithium uh, resources, Mm -hmm. which is uh, required for the uh, batteries of a cars, for example. Mm -hmm. So if we would like to go for electric cars, Australia would be in a vital position there. Today, they just mine this lithium, but the batteries themselves are produced in China. Mm. So Now they are looking for uh, new ways how to actually uh, improve the situation there. And indeed, you're very right that uh, we are looking very much on China only. But in practice, the other countries in the region are also very interested to get rid of such kind of dominance. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, another point that came from the International Energy Agency, uh, the press release that I was uh, quite surprised or I guess not surprised but like pleasantly surprised about let's put it like that was that I mean one good thing China has done is that they've made it quite cheap the technologies so I guess it it comes with a mass right but would it be something that maybe if we would you know with Australia coming along India coming along could somehow like repeat in a sense well it's very hard to predict Mm. in a way I would say Uh, well Looking on the history, mm-hmm. one could say that, uh, say, the people have, or the people who are doing forecasts, including also <laughs> International Energy Agency, mm-hmm. say they have very often, uh, say, underestimated uh, the progress of the costs of the low-carbon technologies. Mm. Well, say, for example, if you look at the solar photovoltaics, say the prices have dropped uh, like. 10 times within last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, the predictions that were made in 2008 were like three times off. Mm. The same counts for uh, the wind power that, again, say the predictions that were made in 2014 even were uh, like two times off mm. from the reality that mm-hmm. came in 2019. Mm-hmm. And with the batteries, the same thing that, well, the predictions that were made even 2017 mm. were close to two times off what actually happened in 2021. Mm-hmm. So I would not dare to make any kind of predictions mm. anymore because, let's say, the market is very uh, unpredictable in this way. But what we can see today is that, uh, well, this kind of 
curve has changed a bit because of all these energy prices that have uh, went up. And today we are kind of three to five years back with the prices of the solar panels, for example, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where and say the prices have actually started to increase again mm-hmm. for the solar panels. Mm-hmm. So, well, whether it will be a stable trend or will be an impact of the high energy prices remains to be seen in two or three years. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we we have been a bit bleak. It seems to me like the future is going to be a bit bleak in general. But maybe as a last thought, the last question: Is there anything really positive that you have seen in the transition with like uh, with uh, the collaboration with Asia? Like for example, in Asia, the, um, Australia and India, or things that uh, show that we could have a better, I guess, future in regards to the energy dependency. Well, I think the uh, collaborations that are becoming now evident between the uh, different countries, say, as I told about the Australian and Indian initiatives, uh, they are actually doing the same kind of uh, collaborations with uh, European countries, European Union, uh, with Canada, US. So, say, there is a view that we can, say, make a change there and create a greener transition <laughs> that we are, say, on the path today. And I hope that this kind of trend will continue as well. And all these problems that are likely to appear in the future would not be in such a magnitude that, that would hurt the green transition. And uh, from this perspective, I think there is a, every country has its role to play whether, let's say, Nordic countries have here a very good position as, say, one of the pioneers of all the green transition. And, well, I think that uh, this kind of position provides also us the possibility to improve also all the situation that has uh, come to the table today, I would say, in relation with uh, Asian countries. Thank you, Einari. I have been your host, Saskile Lehtsalo, from University of Tartu Asia Center in Estonia. And discussing with me the current reality of our green energy markets and supply chain questions between Asia and Europe, as well as the possible future scenarios in the green energy field, was Einari Kisal, the head of partnerships and strategy in Finna's Center for Smart Cities in Tallinn University of Technology. Thank you for joining the Nordic Asia podcast, showcasing Nordic collaboration in studying Asia. Listening to the Nordic Asia podcast.